bless your name. Late in the midnight hour. Come on. I, I thought we could take this moment before they are with us to, to pray for our college students that are going to be invading this neighborhood over the next couple of weeks. Because for some of them, it's late in the midnight hour. If you think back to your college days, because when I think back to my college days, for me, it was late in the midnight hour. My parents probably both needed knee replacements for praying for their son. Because for me, when I was heading off to college, I was like, whoo, finally, I am free. Free like Jonah, right? Rushing right into the mouth of the, of the whale where I spent the next four years of my life. Graduate high school in 1985, right? Everything that you see in Stranger Things, that's our generation right there. That was real for us. Everything except for the upside down world, we didn't have that. But the music, the clothes, the, right? That was our culture. If you wanted to send someone mail, you had to put a stamp on it. If you wanted to watch a movie, you had to buy a VHS tape. If you want to call someone and you weren't at home, you had to find a payphone. We'll explain what that is later to this little group over here. But it doesn't matter what generation it is. It doesn't matter what, what time and culture it is. Things that we read all the way back into the Old Testament and things that we're going to see far into our future, a lot of it, it's still the same. And there are people, often in their youth, that are just on the run from God. And I'm believing that this school year, as these college students roll back in, many of them, right, filling up this front center section where we see them during the school year, that this is gonna be the year of their midnight hour, where God is gonna intersect their life and set them on a new path. Father, I pray for these college students that are gonna be filling these pews that are right here in front of us over the next several weeks, for the next several months, and for some of them for the next few years. And we pray over each of their lives right now in Jesus' name that this is going to be the year of their midnight hour. It's going to be the year of their redemption. It's going to be the year where they grow weary of running from you and find a newfound strength and a newfound desire to run towards you, to begin to chase after the things that are on your heart and not the things that draw them away. I pray for spiritual clarity. I pray for spiritual protection. I pray that you would rescue their hearts and their minds and to make them ready, even out, even if they're coming with plans of raucous living, that they're gonna find themselves soon chasing after a righteous way of life. Jesus, we think about your words in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and they will be filled. We pray for a filling in the lives of these college students that 2019 and 2020 for them is gonna be the year of their midnight hour. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, Amen. Amen. You can find your seat. Can you say thank you to the worship team?
especially this guy here to my left, celebrating five years on staff with us. Come on, love this guy. Love this guy. How he leads us, but then also how he teaches us. There cannot be any unity without diversity. Come on. So good. So good. Hey, how about one more giveaway? Is Elise in here? Where's Elise Baldwin? She in the back? Oh, there she is right there. I can't see all those lights. This is for Elise on staff, our church business administrator. Come on. She's been doing some heavy lifting over the last couple of weeks with everything, with getting the, 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 um, the preschool, the application that we have to submit to uh, the Virginia Department of Social Services. It's like getting a master's degree, that process that you have to go through. And uh, so she just completed that for us this week. And so we just want to say thank you for all the work that you're doing here, keeping us. She's our bookkeeper. Uh, she's our church administrator. We all really work for Elise here uh, during the week. And uh, she, keeps us, she keeps us straight. So thank you, Elise, for putting up with us and, uh, and keeping us straight. Well, if you're visiting with us tonight, we are in a series called Eden. And we've been uh, picking different weeks to cover different topics that, that we learn about our life in the here and now based on the story of creation. We did Born to Suffer, we did Born to Die, and we did Born to Grow. And tonight, I want to talk to you about this idea called Born to Rest. Born to Rest. So if ever, I teach on this at least once a year, if there, ever there's a week where you have permission to fall asleep in my sermon, tonight's the night. Because you were born to rest. Just no snoring. No snoring. If you've got your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Chapter 2, I want to read verses 1 through 3. It says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. Now, if you're familiar with Scripture, you know chapter 2 starts this way because chapter 1 is the story of creation. And so this first verse is kind of a transition, a segue from what he did on the first six days and what's about to happen. Verse 2 says, now on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. Listen to what it says. So he rested from all his work. Now this is what's interesting. In verse 3 it says, and God blessed the seventh day and declared it Holy, we're going to talk about that word in just a few minutes, declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, as you look through the creation story, which we've been doing in this series, we know that at the end of each day, day one, day two, day three, day four, all the way up to day five, we'll set aside day six because he said something different there, but at the end of each one of those days, God says it was good. He looked at what he had done, and then he, he spoke over it and says, this is good. Now, on the sixth day, he said something different, because this is the day that he made mankind in his image. He said, it is very good. But on the seventh day, he did something completely different. It says that on this day, he blessed it. Now, this is important for us, because what I want to challenge you to buy into tonight is that there is a blessing that's waiting for you when you enter into the Sabbath that he created for you. Now you might say, well, Fred, 
Because I've made a vow of devotion to Christ, I'm already, by virtue of being a child of God, a recipient of all the blessings that God has for me. And what I would say to you is, yes, you are a recipient for all the blessings that the Bible says that are unconditional, but the Bible has a lot to say about blessing that is conditional, meaning that you've got to do something to position yourself to experience the blessing that he has for you. And I would suggest to you that some of you in your life that you're struggling For some of you in your life, there is something of the favor of God. There is something of the yes of God. There is something of the grace of God and the goodness of God that you've yet to experience because you're not entering into this day that God has set apart. There's a blessing. He spoke a blessing over it. It's not just poetic language to tell a story He's trying to teach us that there is something of himself that we will not experience until we leave behind the ordinary work and pace and routine of the six days of life and step into something that the Bible calls a Sabbath. And when you do, there is a blessing that you find in that place. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to experience every good and perfect thing that God has set aside for me in this human experience. It's why everything that we teach in this church is summed up, right, in this one phrase, heaven now, heaven forever. We're not going to experience all of the goodness of heaven that's promised to us through Christ here and now, but there are portions of it that God has set apart to give us a foretaste of what's to come. And there is a piece of heaven, there is a portion of heaven, there is a part of heaven that God has set apart in this world. It's, it, what it, it's what it means when he says he blessed it and it, he made it holy. It means that he created a way in this human experience to experience something of what's to come then so that we can have it now. And for some of you, you've never experienced it because you continue to live your life in the pace that this culture demands of us and it robs you of something of the goodness of God that's waiting for you. In my hope that tonight, that you're going to be encouraged and inspired to begin to change your pace, that you're going to set aside a day, that you're going to find a way that during your week, you're going to be able to enter into the Sabbath and find the blessing that he has for you. Hebrews 4.9 reads this way, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. There remains, therefore, a rest for the, for the people of God. Now, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. We know the author, right, is the Holy Spirit, as with all the books of the Bible, but we don't know who the writer is. There's lots of conjecture of who it might be, but at the end of the day, we just, we don't know. But whoever the writer of Hebrews was, was inspired by the Holy Spirit to make up a word. The word rest that you see here and you see this in English translations all throughout the Bible, but in the original text, in Hebrews 4.9, in the Greek, it's the word sabbatismos. And when the writer of Hebrews penned that word, it had not been written before. Because there was not a word in any known language that they were aware of that could articulate and communicate what they were trying to say to the world. And the thought that the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was trying to say to the world is that there is a rest that you and I can experience that will never be interrupted. 
Now, we like a little participation here at the City Life Church. So what are some things in your life where you've been interrupted and it's been frustrating? Somebody over here. Oh, Sleep. How many, right? Sleep, right? Can I just leave my kids in the nursery a little bit longer, right? All the, all the parents, right? We should just have nap mats set up in a room for all the parents, with, right? All right. I hear a new ministry. Somebody else. Someone you're interrupted that's frustrating. Hey, it's never been you though, right? I know. Somebody else. Something where you've been interrupted. Amy. Trying to talk to your spouse and the kids interrupt you. Yes, indeed. Somebody else. Janine. Building a deck. Greg, you didn't have anything to do with that interruption with building the deck, right? No. Okay, good, good. Somebody else, something where you've been interrupted and it's been frustrating. Anybody? Okay, up here. Drinking coffee. Drinking coffee. Listening to music. Video games. Anybody over here? How about when you're making a TikTok? Anybody ever interrupt you? Yeah, see? I know. Thank you. Fist bumps, anybody from the youth? Yeah, I know. Thank you, Slaughters. Somebody else? Yes, ma'am. Traffic. Can we just pause for that one a little bit in the 757? Interrupted. Somebody else? Watching a movie. Reading. Somebody else? Who said I got one? Oh, in the balcony. Eating. Especially desserts, right? Don't interrupt my pie time. Praying. Nice skill. Quiet, right? When you're trying to have quiet time? Yes, ma'am. Right? We could just keep going. It's part of the human experience. I think it's why the Holy Spirit inspired the writer of Hebrews to make up a word that meant uninterrupted rest because it's so contrary to the human experience. We live in a world of constant interruption. And God says, when it comes to rest, when it comes to a sense of stillness and peace and contentment, that no matter what's happening around you, you never have to be interrupted from that. That you can live in that place where deep in your heart there is a trust and a belief in the goodness of God that cannot be displaced by any circumstance. Now, we're not going to do these for the sake of time tonight. We could do a whole series on rest. We've done that before here at the church. But I believe in Hebrews chapter 4, we're given four specific kinds of rest. And the reason why rest can be interrupted is not because you can nap for the rest of your life, but because rest covers more than just our physical well-being. The writer of Hebrews talks about something that I believe is called paternal rest. It's the rest that comes from knowing that your God is a perfect father and he always has your best interest at heart. It's what Chris was talking about tonight, right, in the worship set, that your daddy says that you can. There's, there's a restfulness that we find when we begin to discover the true nature of God and the true heart of God, that he's not what many of us come to believe that he is through religious exposure, through teachings of God that are not him, right? He's not this distant figure. He's not this person that's just hoping for you to break a rule so that he can punish. He's, he's, he's not this person that's angry with you all the time. He's a father. He's perfect. And he has your best interest at heart. And when you begin to discover and embrace the reality of who he is, there's a restfulness that comes to your heart. 
There's purpose rest that the writer of Hebrews 4 gives us. The, the rest that comes from doing what you were called and created to do. And if you've not figured that out, then I hope you hang around here a little bit longer because we'd love to go on a journey with you. Because God's got spiritual gifts that he wants to give you, right? There's a heart's desires that he's given you, personality. There's your natural abilities. There's your life experiences. This, all these things that Eric Reese calls your shape because function follows form. And as you begin to recognize who you are and who created you to be, there's an epiphany. There's a revelation of what he's called you to do. And when you begin to walk in what he's called you to do, even though you might be physically tired, there's a restfulness in your soul. There's paternal rest, there's purpose rest, there's perpetual rest. You can't have perpetual rest until you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. Perpetual rest is the peace that comes to the heart when you know what's waiting for you after you die. And I've been in pastoral ministry for a couple of decades, and I can tell you, I've done a lot of funerals. And you can tell by the expressions on people's faces oftentimes in those settings whether or not they have perpetual rest. Because death is going to come one day for us all. And it should not be something that we fear. Because we know it's on that day that we're truly born. When we get to enter into eternity with him. There is a restfulness that comes. A perpetual rest. When you know what's waiting for you when life comes to an end. And then the last one is where we're going to spend our time tonight. It's called physical rest. The reason why sabbatismos is possible. The reason why you can live a life where rest is, is, is not interrupted is because if you have all four of these present in your life, even if you're physically tired and you're two days out from your Sabbath and you don't think that you're going to be able to make it and you're facing a hard day, there can still be peace for your soul because you know who your Father is. Rest does not have to be ever interrupted to, for you for the rest of your days. Listen to Isaiah 58, 13 to 14, says this. It says, keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. What's, what's Isaiah saying? Isaiah is saying, this day should be different from your other days. We're going to talk about it tonight. It doesn't mean that your day has to be sedentary. For some of you, you're going to rest through activity. For some of you, you're going to find a sense of rejuvenation by being active. It's just your activity that rejuvenates should be different from the activity of the other six days. It's a day that is set apart. It's a day that's supposed to look different. It's a day that's supposed to feel different. Listen to what Isaiah says. Then the Lord will be your delight. What's that talking about? It's talking about the blessing in Genesis 2 because it's conditional. You've got to enter in to find this measure of the delight of God over your life. Listen to what he says. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. What does that mean? It means all the promises that are in this book are for you. But some of them you'll never have until you step into the condition that's laid out for you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Why does he say that? Because he wants us to understand this isn't just poetic language. This isn't hyperbole. It's a promise. And it's a promise for each of us. Now, when you're trying to figure out whether this day that's called a day of rest, the Sabbath day that should be set apart, 
whether or not it's truly different for you than it is than the other days, there are three distinct words that the Bible gives us that we can overlay onto that day as a test. You can test that day. And those three words are Shabbat, Kadash, and Nuach. It's Hebrew. Now let me read you this verse, then I want to give you a definition for each one of those words. This is Exodus 20, 8 through 11. It says, remember to observe the Sabbath day, Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. And on that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you, just like Chick-fil-A. I'm just saying, it's one of the benefits of Saturday church. You can still get your nuggets. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. And that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Shabbat, Kadash, and Nuach. Listen to what Shabbat, which is translated for us Sabbath. It means to repose. That is to desist from exertion. To cease, to celebrate, to leave and put away or to put down, to make to rest, to rid, to still, and to take away, just like the definition on the screen. See, this is one of the words that we're given. It's a gift so that you can understand what this means. So that when you're trying to set aside a day every week to rest, we're going to get into this because I don't think to God anymore it matters what day it is. It's We don't meet on Saturday because we believe that Sunday has to be the day of rest. We meet on Saturday because it makes it possible with the flow of life for a lot of people to make Sunday their Sabbath. But for you, you might have to work on Sundays. So you've got to find a way to put that day of rest on a different day. See, part of interpreting the Old Testament for how it applies today is to understand the difference between the principle and the practice. There was a lot that was a cultural practice that we have to leave behind, but the principle, it's got to carry through. Kadash, it's to be clean, ceremonially or morally. It means that it is a day where you take a stand with the temptation that you struggle with and say, not today. I might not make it tomorrow, but I'm going to make it today. It means to appoint or to bid or to consecrate or to dedicate. It means that you don't take this day for granted. It's holy to God. It should be holy to us. Hallowed, holy, to prepare, proclaim, purify, sanctify. It's sacred. And then this last word. This is one of my favorite Hebrew words, nuach. It means to rest. It means to be at rest. It means to settle down. It means to stay and to dwell it means comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. Many of you here need a day like that in your life every single week. See, Exodus 20 says this, Remember to observe the Shabbat by keeping it kadash. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Shabbat. It's a day of nuach, dedicated to the Lord your God. And on that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your, which is your children, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, but on the seventh day he... Nuach, comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. That is why the Lord blessed the Shabbat and he set it apart as Kadash. You see, when you're looking at the day that you're trying to set aside and you're trying to ask the question, is this really a Sabbath or is it just another day that's different from the other six because those are two completely different things. Your seventh day can look different from the other six, but it doesn't mean it's crossed the threshold of being a Sabbath. You want to be able to look at that day and ask the question, is it a Shabbat, is it Kadash, and is it Nuach? Because if you can check all three of those boxes, then now you've experienced something that is one of the greatest gifts that God made for mankind. See, we think that the story of creation is just about the creation of things that are tangible. (laughs) Oh, but it's not. What I would suggest to you is that the things that he made that are tangible were just a context for the deeper things that he created that are unseen, like the day of the Sabbath for you and I to enter in. What are you going to do to restore a sense of sacredness for rest in the world today? Because, see, this isn't just about you and me. It's about the example that the church of Christ is supposed to be to the rest of the world. There's supposed to be something about our lives that's different, and we talk about that a lot here at the City Life Church. We talked about it a lot when we did the message Born to Grow But can we just agree there's also supposed to be something different about the life of the devoted follower of Christ in the pace of your life? There should be a rhythm to your life that is different than what the world demands of you. Now, I'm going to get into some practical steps in a little bit. And for some of you, you might be thinking, Fred, I hear what you're saying. But I just want you to know that what you're asking of me is impossible. Because for some of you, it might mean scaling back activity. For some of you, it could literally mean a change in your standard of living in the sense that it's going to go down. And what I would say to you is that at some point in your life, you've got to ask yourself some hard questions. Are you going to trust that the creator of the universe has your best interest at heart or not? Are you going to trust the wisdom of God's word or not? There are times in all of our lives where our lives come up against the Word of God and where it's not in alignment. I would say take a step of faith, bring it into alignment, even if it seems like on the surface you're going to end up with something less. If you submit your life to the wisdom of this book, you'll always end up with more. You will always end up with more. The math of God is always multiplication, even if it comes first through subtraction. That wasn't in my notes. Somebody should write that down. (laughs) Text that to me later. We vote on elders here at the City Life Church because we believe that ministry should happen through teams. If you've not been to our new website, which is pretty awesome if I do say so myself, but we talk about our commitment to team-based ministry here at this church, why it's safe what leadership is for us. We give you a definition of what we practice. Many of you have been a part of this church long enough to be in sacred meetings at our annual business meeting where we vote on elders. It's serious to us. Asking people to lead us spiritually. 
people that Vanessa and I, too, are completely submitted to in every way. What, what if we were voting on elders tonight? What if? What if? And I brought some people up here and said, these are the people that we believe that God has called to help lead this church. But I just, I just need to talk with you about some things that we've observed in their life. But we feel like they're still qualified. You tracking with me? What if the first thing on my list is that they worshipped other gods and actively participated in other religions? Right? I know. What if I said we realize that they have an Etsy store where they make idols and they sell them, they pray to them, they worship them? What if I said they spoke with profanity, especially using God and Jesus as curse words, taking the Lord's name in vain? Some people are like, what kind of church is this? It's making you uncomfortable right now to even think about it. It seems so extreme, right? You're like, Fred, this is a ridiculous example because who would ever do that? What if I said they speak disrespectfully to their parents and speak of them publicly in derogatory ways? What if I said they openly endorse murder out of vengeance and anger as being appropriate? What if I said they practiced an open marriage relationship with their spouse? What if I said they believe that dishonesty for personal gain is just the natural part of life? What if I said that they believe that giving false testimony was okay because most people are guilty of something? What if I said they believe that envying your neighbor's possessions is a great way to motivate yourself to get more stuff? Yeah, if we ever become that church, I hope you find another church. Somebody tell me where those nine things come from. Yeah, how many? I'm sorry, how many? Yeah, what's the one on that list that I left out? Yeah. How, how many of you, if we brought an elder before you and we said they, I'm just telling they are a, a picture of the character of Christ. They haven't practiced the Sabbath for some time now, but man, are they great leaders. How many of you would have the same kind of reaction to that as you would to these. Because if we don't, something's wrong. Because God put it on that list for a reason. And the reason why I think he put it on that list is because he knew, right, because he's God, that society would get to a place and it's like a, a race, that at some point, some of these commandments would start to get left behind. And you know what one of them is that's got left behind from the church? I mean, that has got completely left behind from Christians? It's this idea that there is a day of rest that you and I are supposed to have. Now, I hear you because I have conversations with pastors and other Christians about these ideas, and they say, Fred, you're trying to bring something that was culturally exclusive, like many of Jewish practices, and bring it into our modern life. And I say, hey, that's a great argument for many of the other things that are in the Old Testament, but all those other things in the Old Testament that you're using as an example right now, none of them are in the Ten Commandments. None of them. And I believe it's because God said, this one is just as important as the other ones. So I'm going to put it on this list, the ten. 
So everyone always has a place that they can go to ask the question, how important is this to God? You see, just because we've become desensitized to it doesn't make it any less wrong. Just because we've become desensitized to it doesn't make it any less consequential. Just because we've become desensitized to it doesn't mean that there are not consequences that we experience in this life because of it. I believe that many people, they struggle with health problems because they don't rest. I agree with John Ortberg. I think that fatigue is the greatest enemy of Christian character. Yeah, and if you don't believe that, just look at yourself this past week. Right? I'm looking at myself. On the days that we're tired, the days that we didn't get enough sleep, the days that we're run down and feeling fatigued, right? Those are the days. It's hard for the virtues of Christ to flow through our lives. You see, physical rest just isn't about your physical body. It's about the character of Christ having the ability to flow and form inside of you. And fatigue is an impediment to the birthing of virtue in our hearts, which is what we're ultimately called to be and do in this world. Karl Barth, a modern-day theologian, says, let things take their course with particular freedom distinct from weekday practice to as much or as little as the day brings. The day, listen, to, I love this phrase, should be free from compulsion. Free from compulsion. Comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. See, free from compulsion means that you're supposed to have a 24-hour period every day of your life where you're not driven by obligation. I'm not going to read this, but if you're a note taker, we put these outlines online every week too so that you can have them as a reference, but I'm just going to give you this as a reference if you want to read a little bit more, but it's Luke 6, 1 through 11. Luke 6, 1 through 11, this is the great discourse where the religious leaders of Jesus' day are challenging him because he's not practicing what they believe is a Sabbath. It's important for us because this is where Jesus lays down a filter for you and me that's important. When we're trying to understand what a Sabbath is supposed to look like, it's in Luke 6, 1 through 11, where Jesus says it's about rest, it's not about rules. It's about rest, it's not about rules. Meaning that the way you rest might look differently than the way that I rest. It doesn't mean that we have to do it the same way. It doesn't mean we have to have the same restrictions. See, that was one of the ways that the religious leaders of Jesus' day was violating the practice of the Sabbath is that they had so many rules that they had heaped upon them that it was impossible for them to enter rest because they were so stressed out as to whether or not they were going to break a rule. Let me give you one of these rules. This is true. In Jesus' day, it was against Jewish law to practice medicine on the Sabbath day. Couldn't practice medicine. So if you had a toothache... And a homeopathic remedy then was to swish vinegar around in your mouth. This is, this is real. In Jesus' day, if you were to have a toothache and you were to take a mouthful of vinegar and swish it around your mouth, if you spit it out, you would get in trouble with your rabbi because that was practicing medicine, so you had to swallow it because that was considered eating. Yeah, who wants to grow up under that type of legalism? That's not what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about being bound to a promise but being free to understand how God is going to see that promise played out in your life. 
See, what we're bound to is Shabbat. What we're bound to is Kadash. What we're bound to is Nuach. But how that plays out and what that looks like in your life versus my life, it can be very different. The question is, when you come out of the other side of that 24 hours, are you refreshed and are you rejuvenated? You might say, well, Fred, what about Mark 2, 27, where Jesus clearly said that the Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for Sabbath, and I would agree with you. But Jesus in that statement was not saying that a Sabbath is optional. And the reason we know that is because we interpret the Bible in light of itself. And you can't read that verse without the context of the Ten Commandments. And you also can't read that verse without the context of Ephesians 2.8, which talks about salvation itself being a gift from God. But I think many of you here that are familiar with this book would agree that even though salvation is a gift, if you reject it, it's consequential. Now, I'm not saying not practicing a Sabbath will risk the loss of your salvation. That's not my point, because that's not how it works. What I am saying is just because God says it's a gift doesn't mean that you have the option to reject it. It just means it's the nature of God not to force it on you. You have to choose to receive it. You have to choose to enter into it. And if you don't, you miss out on the blessing that he has for you in the moment. Let me give you these eight practical steps. I remember years ago, back when we were still living in Mechanicsville, we moved here in 2007. It was probably a couple of years before that, that that Vanessa and I, as we now had three young children, were trying to write, we're just worn out. We're just worn out. We're like, "We, we can't live at this pace. And we started to read and study and talk to people that we trusted and knew, and, and that was in the season of our life where we began to get introduced to this idea of Sabbath being for today and not just for yesterday. And these are the eight steps that I would give to you. I read it in an article. I don't even remember who the author is anymore. But these are the eight steps that we begin to work through, and I'm going to give them to you tonight. The first one is to pray. Because the book of James says if we lack wisdom, we should ask. And you might say, Fred, You don't understand how complicated my life is. And what I would say to you is, I don't, because I'm not living your life. But I do know someone who does understand the complexity of your life. And then if he requires this of us, then he's going to lead you through the complexity of that life to find a way to walk in truth to his word. So the first thing you should do is you should begin to pray. If you're married, begin to pray together. If you have children, begin to pray with them and begin to ask God, give us wisdom for how we can begin to put into practice this idea of a weekly Sabbath. The second thing I would say to you is you have to invest in that. We preach on stewardship. We preach on on having a practice. I hope you're living by a budget. If you're just winging it out there, then that's another sermon for another time. But you should have a financial plan for your family. You should have line items that that, that govern your spending. You know what's tied with divorce in America? Infidelity is is top. But you know what's tied with that? Is financial disagreement. Yeah. 50% of all marriages end in divorce. And tied for first is infidelity, financial stress. You should have a financial plan. And you should have a budget for resting for your family. 
So there are activities that you can do, things that you enjoy as a family. There's a spillover benefit, which we'll be having a life group that's, that we do every year that Vanessa teaches based on the curriculum of Growing Kids God's Way. We talk about the importance of having a family identity. One of the great ways that you have a family identity is that you rest together. Number three is you have to protect this day. If you leave here tonight and say, you know what, we're going to do it. All hell is going to break loose on your life for the next 60 days. I'm just telling you. You know it's true. When you come to a place in your journey as a devoted follower of Christ, and you want to take a step to bring your life into alignment with the Word of God, there are alarm bells that go off all throughout hell. I'm telling you. I believe in what this book says, that we have an enemy of our soul. He does not want you to have the vigor and the enthusiasm and the passion that Christ wants you to have because that means you're going to be able to have even greater authority over him than you already do. He doesn't want you to enter into the fullness of God. He doesn't want you to discover the blessing that's waiting for you on that day. He doesn't want you to have it too just because misery loves company. He rebelled in heaven and he was cast out. His great desire is to take as many people with him. And I hope this message tonight is going to teach you something to stand against the work that he brings against you. You are going to have to protect that day. You've got to put boundaries in place. It might be routines with family and friends. They, they know you to be a certain person and to live a certain way. And one of the hardest things to do in this life is to break free from the expectations of others. You're going to have to come up with a plan. And you're going to have to protect that day for your family. It's going to require you to say no to people. It's going to require you to say to some things that can wait until tomorrow. You've got to have some flexibility. This is important, this fourth one. You've got to have flexibility. It's about rest. It's not about rules. You've got to be flexible. If you're on your way to Bush Gardens because you've invested in your rest... And it's going to be a fun family day that you've set aside. And you're on the way there and your tire blows out. And you're on the side of the road. You cannot say to your children, well, looks like we just have to leave the car here for the rest of the day. Just changing a tire is work. And I ain't doing it. (laughs) If it's your day off and there's a thunderstorm, and a tree falls on your neighbor's house, and the 80-year-old widow that lives there by herself comes and knocks on your door. I don't even need to finish the story. You got it. You got to be flexible. It's about rest. It's not about rules. You track it with me? It's about rest, not rules. You got to be flexible. Sabbath is about family. If you're married, if you have children, gentlemen, don't wake up early tomorrow and say to your wife, I'll be back at 8 tonight. 
I got to go rest like the pastor said. Because if you do that, we have a marriage ministry here at the City Life Church. It doesn't mean that if you have family, which means if you're married, you have a family, right? It doesn't mean that you're bound to spend that day together all day, every day. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you're going to spend time apart, it should be agreed to. If you're going to spend time apart, it means because it's part of your plan. It's because it's part of your strategy. For some people in your family, you might be introvert. Like me, I'm a naturally introverted person. I need time alone to rejuvenate. For some of you, you're extreme extroverts. The idea of being by yourself for a minute is excruciating, right? You've got to understand that in your family, you've got all kinds of different personality types and different needs. You're going to have some people that rest through being sedentary. For me to rest, I need inactivity. I need couch potato time. Vanessa, if you know her, right? She, she's active. She likes to do stuff. So she might be out gardening and, and being in the yard, and, 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 and that's life-giving to her. Are you tracking with me? It's about rest. It's not about rules. Number six, others. Learn from people around you. There are a lot of people that are in this church that coming here They settled here because Sunday was a day where they could finally begin to put into practice some of these things that we're teaching. It's one of the main reasons why we hold church on Saturday night. It's not the only one. is because we knew that if we wanted to be a church that preached about rest, that we were going to have to do some things to create space and margins in people's lives. So we moved our worship day onto the day of activity for our culture, which is Saturday. We did not move it onto Saturday because we believe in the, 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 the idea of the original Sabbath, right? Which is part of what is the teaching of if you're a Messianic Jew or if you're a Seventh-day Adventist. That's not why we do it. We did it because there is a cultural practice of activity on Saturday and Sunday not being a day of activity. So we move for practical reasons to create space in your life for a family day. And there are people in this church, I'm telling you, it's revolutionized their lives. You learn from one another. We follow each other as we follow Christ. Number seven, adrenaline is addictive. For some of you, I kid you not, Vanessa and I literally experienced this when we first began to practice the Sabbath. We felt depressed. We did. We, we, we felt tired. We were like, this taking a day off is for the birds. Right? I, felt, I feel worse because I, I took a day off today than if I hadn't. You know why that is? Because our bodies were chemically addicted to the adrenaline that we were used to experiencing that we had to literally detox and it took time. Now, you might think, that's crazy talk. I'm just telling you, do some research, you're going to find it. And we experienced it. It was real for us. And for some of you, it's going to be real for you. If you're just all the time, all day, every day, you're going to feel lousy those first few times you practice the Sabbath. But if you give your body time to adjust, if you give your body time to settle in, you will begin to discover that there's something better than the adrenaline that you're used to. 
and it's the rest that God has waiting for you. So give yourself grace. And the last one is just simply rest. I alluded to it already, is that the measure ultimately at the end of the day, the outcome, once you've looked at those three words, ask if your day really fits them, there's still a question. Once you've practiced it for some time in a season, you've got to begin to ask yourself the question is when I wake up the next day, do I feel refreshed and rejuvenated and strengthened? Because the goal for the Sabbath is a gift that God has for you, for your physical body to be renewed so that you have the strength and the ability to continue to put your hand to the thing that God created you to do and so that the virtues of Christ can continue to form in you without so much of an impediment. Now the band's working their way back up here because we're going to close in a song in just a minute. But as they're making their way up here, I, I just I want to ask you this question. Because for you tonight, it might not have anything to do about a Sabbath. For you tonight, it might not have anything to do about rest. It could be that tonight you came in here because you've got all kinds of other questions that you're asking. Is God real? Is what people say about Jesus true? Does God really have a plan for my life? Is heaven real? You see, if we could press rewind for a minute and go back to that moment after we did those first two songs and we talked about this idea of what if God was in the room, what would you ask him? And we did a fill in the blank and we focused that moment on need, that you needed something from God, that you had a, a, a request of him. What I would say to you is for some of you that didn't resonate with you but because some of you, your need is a question. And what I would say to you is, God has your answer. He has your answer. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And as we step into this moment of prayer, I'm just, I'm just shifting gears on you. You feel it? We're just shifting gears here. Because God is present. He is real. He is a perfect father. And he does always have your best interest at heart. And so, Father, for the person that's here tonight who came with questions, for the person that's here tonight who came with doubts, Maybe the person that came here tonight with scrutiny and suspicion. I pray that in this moment as we sing, that your living presence, that you would awaken them to who you are. You would enable them to feel your voice. And even now as we sing, that understanding for the answer that we know that you long to give would come. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.